here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. There's a number of things I want to get into tonight. Uh, there's an attack, a sort of attack from another angle against the president on the emoluments case that is going forward that has been filed by the Attorneys General of Maryland in the District of Columbia in a Maryland court where you can imagine the judge is a Clinton appointee, Mr. Chief Justice, a Clinton appointee, and it is totally out of control. And there are other issues going on, too, that I want to dig into. The so-called Flynn um, uh, deal that was filed, I want to talk about that, too. But before we get into that, I was at a wonderful event today, the Impact Awards, and saw many wonderful conservatives there from the conservative movement over the decades. And among them was my former boss, Attorney General Edward Meese. And it really did make me think back to a time, the Reagan-Bush administration that went on for eight years and then the Bush presidency that followed that. Then when I came home, I I watched on the Internet. It was delayed, uh, in my case. Uh, George W. Bush giving a eulogy for his father, George H.W. Bush. And I said, you know what? There's a lot of us, a lot of you folks out there driving home right now. You probably didn't see it. You probably didn't hear it. You're going to see little clips of it. It doesn't do it justice. And yet here we have the passing of a former president and a eulogy by his former president's son that has never been done before in American history. Therefore, I'm actually going to do something I've never done before. We're going to take the time to listen to it. Then we will move into these other issues too. But it was absolutely extraordinary. So let's begin now, Mr. Producer. Go ahead. Distinguished guests, including our presidents and first ladies, government officials, foreign dignitaries, and friends. Jeb, Neil, Marvin, Darrow, and I, and our families, thank you all for being here. I once heard it said of man that the idea is to die young as late as possible. At age 85, a favorite pastime of George H.W. Bush was firing up his boat, the Fidelity, and opening up the three 300-horsepower engines to fly, joyfully fly, across the Atlantic with the Secret Service boats straining to keep up. At age 90, George H.W. Bush parachuted out of an aircraft and landed on the grounds of St. Anne's by the Sea in Kennebunkport, Maine, the church where his mom was married and where he worshipped often. 
Mueller liked to say he chose a location just in case the shoot didn't open. <laughs> in his 90s, he took great delight when his closest pal, James A. Baker, smuggled a bottle of Grey Goose vodka into his hospital room. Apparently it paired well with the steak Baker had delivered from Morton's. <laughs> to his very last days, Dad's life was instructive. As he aged, he taught us how to grow with dignity, humor, and kindness. And when the good Lord finally called, how to meet him with courage and with the joy of the promise of what lies ahead. One reason Dad knew how to die young is that he almost did it, twice. When he was a teenager, a staph infection nearly took his life. A few years later, he was alone in the Pacific on a life raft, praying that his rescuers would find him before the enemy did. God answered those prayers. It turned out he had other plans for George H.W. Bush. For Dad's part, I think those brushes with death made him cherish the gift of life, and he vowed to live every day to the fullest. Dad was always busy, a man in constant motion, but never too busy to share his love of life with those around him. He taught us to love the outdoors. He loved watching dogs flush a covey. He loved landing the elusive striper. And once confined to a wheelchair, he seemed happiest sitting in his favorite perch on the back porch at Walker's Point, contemplating the majesty of the Atlantic. The horizons he saw were bright and hopeful. He was a genuinely optimistic man, and that optimism guided his children and made each of us believe that anything was possible. He continually broadened his horizons with daring decisions. He was a patriot. After high school, he put college on hold and became a Navy fighter pilot as World War II broke out. Like many of his generation, he never talked about his service until his time as a public figure forced his hand. We learned of the attack on Chichijima, the mission completed, the shootdown. We learned of the death of his crewmates, whom he thought about throughout his entire life and we learned of the rescue. And then another audacious decision. He moved his young family from the comforts of the East Coast to Odessa, Texas. He and mom adjusted to their arid surroundings quickly. He was a tolerant man. After all, he was kind and neighborly to the women with whom he, mom, and I shared a bathroom in our small duplex. Even after he learned their profession, Ladies of the night. <laughs> Dad could relate to people from all walks of life. He was an empathetic man. He valued character over pedigree. And he was no cynic. He looked for the good in each person, and he usually found it. Dad taught us that public service is noble and necessary, that one can serve with integrity and hold true to the important values like faith and family. He strongly believed that it was important to give back to the community and country in which one lived. 
He recognized that serving others enriched the giver's soul. To us, his was the brightest of a thousand points of light. In victory, he shared credit. When he lost, he shouldered the blame. He accepted that failure is a part of living a full life, but taught us never to be defined by failure. He showed us how setbacks can strengthen. None of his disappointments could compare with one of life's greatest tragedies, the loss of a young child. Jeb and I were too young to remember the pain and agony he and mom felt when our three-year-old sister died. We only learned later that dad, a man of quiet faith, prayed for her daily. He was sustained by the love of the Almighty and the real and enduring love of her mom. Dad always believed that one day he would hug his precious Robin again. He loved to laugh, especially at himself. He could tease and needle, but never out of malice. He placed great value on a good joke. That's why he chose Simpson to speak. <laughs> On email, he had a circle of friends with whom he shared or received the latest jokes. His grading system for the quality of the joke was classic George Bush. The rare sevens and eights were considered huge winners, most of them off color. George Bush knew how to be a true and loyal friend. He nurtured and honored many, his many friendships with a generous and giving soul. There exist thousands of handwritten notes encouraging or sympathizing or thanking his friends and acquaintances. He had an enormous capacity to give of himself. Many a person would tell you that dad became a mentor and a father figure in their life. He listened and he consoled. He was their friend. I think of Don Rhodes, Taylor Blanton, Jim Nance, Arnold Schwarzenegger, and perhaps the unlikeliest of all, the man who defeated him, Bill Clinton. My siblings and I refer to the guys in this group as brothers from other mothers. <laughs> he taught us that a day was not meant to be wasted. He played golf at a legendary pace. I always wonder why he insisted on speed golf. He's a good golfer. Well, here's my conclusion. He played fast so that he could move on to the next event, to enjoy the rest of the day, to expend his enormous energy, to live it all. He was born with just two settings, full throttle, then sleep. <laughs> he taught us what it means to be a wonderful father, grandfather, and great-grandfather. He was firm in his principles and supportive as we began to seek our own ways. He encouraged and comforted, but never steered. We tested his patience. I know I did. <laughs> but he always responded with the great gift of unconditional love. Last Friday, when I was told he had minutes to live, I called him. The guy answered the phone, said he, I think he can hear you, but he hadn't said anything for most of the day. 
I said, Dad, I love you and you've been a wonderful father. And the last words he would ever say on earth were, I love you too. To us, he was close to perfect, but not totally perfect. His short game was lousy. <laughs> he wasn't exactly Fred Astaire on the dance floor. The man couldn't stomach vegetables, especially broccoli. And by the way, he passed these genetic defects along to us. Finally, every day of his 73 years of marriage, Dad taught us all what it means to be a great husband. He married his sweetheart. He adored her. He laughed and cried with her. He was dedicated to her totally. In his old age, Dad enjoyed watching police show reruns. The volume on high. All the while holding Mom's hand. After Mom died, Dad was strong, but all he really wanted to do was hold Mom's hand again. Of course, Dad taught me another special lesson. He showed me what it means to be a president who serves with integrity, leads with courage, and acts with love in his heart for the citizens of our country. When the history books are written, they will say that George H.W. Bush was a great president of the United States, a diplomat of unmatched skill, a commander-in-chief of formidable accomplishment, and a gentleman who executed the duties of his office with dignity and honor. In his inaugural address, the 41st President of the United States said this, We cannot hope only to leave our children a bigger car, a bigger bank account. We must hope to give them a sense of what it means to be a loyal friend, a loving parent, a citizen who leaves his home, his neighborhood, and town better than he found it. What do we want the men and women who work with us to say when we are no longer there? That we were more driven to succeed than anyone around us? Or that we stopped to ask if a sick child had gotten better and stayed a moment there to trade a word of friendship? Well, Dad, we're going to remember you for exactly that and much more. And we're going to miss you. Your decency, sincerity, and kind soul will stay with us forever. So through our tears, let us know the blessings of knowing and loving you, a great and noble man, the best father a son or daughter could have. And in our grief, let us smile knowing that Dad is hugging Robin and holding Mom's hand again. Very, very emotional, especially at the end there. And um, those Bush sons and daughter have now lost their mother and father in the same year, not that far apart. April to November. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. discuss an issue that may seem monotonous to you, but it's not. It's an issue that we can discuss in a way that won't be monotonous, but it's important because it is the next line of attack against the President of the United States and his family. It's called the Emoluments Clause. 
the emoluments clause. People are throwing around the clause, throwing around the word, and they don't know what they're talking about, including some judges. Article 1, Section 9, Clause 8. No title of nobility shall be granted by the United States, and no person holding any office of profit or trust under them shall, without the consent of the Congress, accept of any present emolument, office, or title of any kind, whatever, from any king, prince, or foreign state. You have a president of the United States who's a multi-billionaire, enormously successful man. He's essentially put all his business activities either in a trust or turn them over to his children. And yet the suggestion is that he can be bought. Because foreign dignitaries, among others, are staying at his hotel in Washington, D.C. And therefore, the argument goes, he is violating the Constitution's Emoluments Clause because he's accepting gifts or grants from foreign governments. This is laughable, and yet now a federal district court in Maryland, a Clinton appointee, has not only accepted the case, but is supporting it. If you have a moment, I want you all to go to BrickHouseLevin.com. Just go there and click on the Buy Now button so you can read the reviews. Over 1,200 five-star reviews, I might add. But this one caught my attention from Steve in Denver. I'm upset with Mark because he's got me hooked on Field of Greens. What a great product. Thank you, BrickHouse, for your amazing product and great customer service. I'm a monthly subscriber, and I won't live without it. And you're welcome, Steve. And subscribing is smart. You save money that way. Field of Greens is made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables and helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Plus, they offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee or your money back. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN. Get 15% off your first order with promo code LEVIN. That's BrickHouseLevin.com or call 833-RING-BHN, promo code LEVIN. Mark LEVIN, a proud conservative. No ifs, ands, or buts. Call in at 877-381-3811. We will also get into the the Mueller uh, filing with respect to uh, General Flynn later in the program. Our nation's uh, oldest colleges were founded to teach students to seek truth, recognize what is beautiful, and hold up what is good. But the vast majority of them have abandoned their missions. Locked in the grip of political correctness, they no longer allow free and open discourse. Rejecting the idea of objective truth... They peddle moral and cultural relativism. Thankfully, none of this applies to Hillsdale College. For almost two centuries, Hillsdale has remained true to its original mission, to provide sound learning of the kind essential to preserving civil and religious liberty and intelligent piety. As Hillsdale enters its 175th year, it remains committed to offering its students the very best liberal arts education in the land, as well as to extending its mission nationwide 
for its many outreach efforts on behalf of liberty. These include free online courses, the publication of its free speech digest and primus, its Kirby Center for Constitutional Studies and Citizenship in Washington, D.C., and its Barney Chapter uh, Charter School Initiative, which is helping to establish classical K-12 charter schools nationwide, pursuing truth and defending liberty since 1844. This is Hillsdale College. What a remarkable, remarkable place. All right, let's get back to this. The Emoluments Clause. Now, what was the Emoluments Clause about? We go to the Congressional Research Service. There's many places to look. They say, Review of the debates of the Constitutional Convention in 1787 reveals a nearly universal agreement with respect to the general purpose of the Emoluments Clause. The delegates believe that express protection against possible corruption of members of the legislature from the law of civil office was necessary. Specifically, the delegates feared that election to Congress would be seen merely as a stepping stone to more lucrative public office and that members would use their legislative positions to create or increase the compensation of such offices. In addition, the delegates feared the growth of an overly powerful executive branch that could use the enticement of public office to influence members of the legislature. Okay, so none of that is relevant here. None of that is relevant here. Donald Trump isn't using the office of the presidency or the Trump various business ventures in order to try and pave his way to a higher office. That's not possible. That's not possible. Donald Trump is an elected president of the United States for the purpose of enriching himself. That would be a funny way of going about it, running for president of the United States. We're talking about a hotel in Washington, D.C., where individuals decide whether or not they're going to stay at that hotel. I stayed there one night. It is a magnificent hotel. So the emoluments clause would seem to have nothing at all to do with this, would it? So what's going on? Why does any of this matter? Here's NPR. Trump emoluments case, a blast of subpoenas and a politically risky schedule. In a case that could shed light on the finances of the secretive Trump organization, a federal judge has signed orders to issue 30 subpoenas on behalf of the attorneys general of Maryland and the District of Columbia in their lawsuit alleging that President Trump is profiting from foreign and state government spending at the Trump International Hotel in downtown Washington, D.C. Do you see how they have completely perverted that provision of the Constitution? Trump owns a stake in the hotel and profits from those sources would appear to violate the Constitution's bans on gifts from foreign and state governments. These aren't gifts from foreign and state governments. And remember again, their purpose is to prevent a public official from using their position to try and and grease the skids to get a higher position or 
to get a, a higher position that pays more money. Well, that's not this. So Trump owns a stake in the hotel and profits from those sources would appear to violate the Constitution's bans on gifts from foreign and state governments. No, it doesn't. As D.C. Attorney General Carl Racing called them, our nation's original anti-corruption laws. Subpoenas are directed to 13 entities attached to President Trump, ranging from several involved with a hotel, up to Trump's umbrella entity, the Trump Organization, and the revocable trust that his lawyers created to insulate him from issues like the emoluments lawsuit. And so you have to wonder, first of all, how do the attorneys general of Maryland and Washington, D.C. have standing? How do they have standing? You can't just bring lawsuits, ladies and gentlemen, because you think something's wrong or, you, or you're trying to push a political agenda. What is the standing of a state in the District of Columbia to bring this lawsuit? They have no standing, but I'll get to that later. Maryland Attorney General Brian Frosch told NPR, those subpoenas are aimed at establishing which foreign governments and which domestic governments are paying the Trump Post Office Hotel, then where it's going, and how is the Trump Hotel affecting the hospitality industry in D.C. and Maryland. The lawsuit is based on an argument that the hotel with a presidential boost is taking business from other establishments. Now, the Department of Justice, I understand it, is seeking an appeal, maybe an interlocutory appeal. I don't know what kind of appeal. This is utterly bogus. So this is their argument on standing. Well, look, we want to we got to see if uh, they're taking business from other establishments here. And so therefore, we need to find everything we can about Trump Hotel, Trump World, Trump Finances, the Trump Trust. It's preposterous. The Attorney Run the Internal Revenue Service and four other federal agencies will also get subpoenas. Frosch said the IRS would likely have Trump Tower uh, Trump Organization records showing how much money they took in, how much money they spent, if they identified the sources of the income. He said Trump's tax returns are not included in the request for information about Trump's business dealings. This is a completely bogus lawsuit. Neither Maryland nor D.C. of standing, and it is a complete perversion of the Emoluments Clause of the Constitution. And yet you'll see none of that in the reporting. The documents sought in the subpoenas are one part of the evidence now being gathered. Federal District Judge Peter Messite, M-E-S-S-I-T-T in Maryland, set the evidence gathering to end August 2019. Now why is that important, ladies and gentlemen? It coincides with the Iowa State Fair, one of the first big events of the 2020 presidential campaign, and a trial would follow. In other words, the Trump emoluments case could hit the headlines just as the president is revving up his re-election campaign. Now, this is a federal judge, a Clinton appointee, Mr. Chief Justice Roberts. This is a federal judge. Let's see here. Donald Kettle, 
academic director of the University of Texas LBJ School, Washington Center, said the timing has risks for the president. Notice the nature of the article. Timing has risk for the president, this, that, and the other. They're carrying water for a bogus lawsuit and an outrageous judge. And then they get some phony expert. It has risks for the president? This is another setup. If it turns out that now there are suggestions and maybe evidence presented, there are people who at least took advantage of the Trump Hotel in Washington to try to carry favor. It's going to continue to stir a pot that the president would surely wish were left unstirred, he said. What does that mean? Stir a pot for what? If it turns out now there are suggestions and maybe evidence. Suggestions and maybe evidence? Kettle said the case, if it goes against Trump, could also bolster support for special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. How? What does that have to do with anything? And while it's unclear how many subpoenaed documents will become public, the plaintiff's approach in this case could provide a roadmap for investigative journalists or oversight-minded House Democrats who will wield the majority in the new Congress beginning next year. The Emoluments Clause of the Constitution has languished in legal obscurity, they write, for most of the past two centuries and never been tested in court in this way. It's never been tested in court in this way because these are outrageous individuals bringing these cases. The Kennedys never had cases like this brought about their investments. The Johnsons, Lyndon Johnson, they never had cases brought about their investments. There have been wealthy people in office before, not as wealthy as Trump as president. But still, so now we have another tool that will apparently be used by the left. And if they can find these Clinton and Obama judges to try and destroy the Trump presidency. And it's a damn about time that the so-called conservative commentators speak out in unison against this. Because whatever they feel about a particular aspect of Trump and Trump policies and so forth, you would think at least we could unite around the Constitution. They have perverted the Emoluments Clause. A case like this has never been brought. 30 subpoenas upheld, supported by a federal judge appointed by Clinton. And somehow this relates to 2016 in the Mueller investigation. These people are insane. I'll be right back. Christmas is almost here. Hanukkah's here. Uh, So, ladies and gentlemen, that sagging jawline, double chin, they don't have to be part of your celebration this year. Now, you can just make them disappear. Introducing the brand new Genesel jawline treatment with dual peptide and MDL technology. Chamonix's most advanced technology ever. It not only tightens saggy jawlines, 
also plumps the lipophilic layers of your skin to contour and define the jawline within minutes. Using peptides and metolactones together for the first time, it works amazingly fast and the results get better every day. And for the next two weeks, the Genesel jawline treatment is yours absolutely free when you order the Genesel for under eye bags and puffiness. And for results in 12 hours, Genesel's immediate effects is also free when you call or click right now. Call 800-SKIN-604, 800-SKIN-604, or go to Genesel.com. That's Genesel.com. End this year on a high note with beautiful skin. No bags and puffiness and a tighter, higher jawline. Call or click now. 800-SKIN-604 or Genesel.com. 800-SKIN-604 or Genesel.com. Phil, Raleigh, North Carolina on the Mark Levin app. Go, go, sir. Sir, good afternoon or good evening. It's a pleasure to speak with you, Mark. I have a quick uh, question. So I'm in the finance profession, and I was wondering what your take on the fact that any federal official with this court uh, procedure is effective with President Trump could be held accountable for violating the emoluments clause if they hold any security instrument whatsoever, whether it's a stock or a bond or an exchange-traded fund or, for that matter, any uh, you know stake in a partnership that has anything to do with a state or foreign government. <laughs> That's a very legitimate question because it sounds like this court and these knucklehead uh, uh, attorneys general who are just trying to make political points, they're opening Pandora's box, aren't they? So if you own a mutual fund, let's say you're, you're a, a, a senator, and you're right, you own a financial instruments, mutual funds or whatever, and they invest in foreign countries or they invest in businesses in foreign countries, what about that? Might not, not your point is, or stocks, might that not affect the way you conduct yourself from an official point of view, right? Absolutely. Well, and partnerships can be highly complex. I can easily own a 1% stake in a partnership, you know, that manages a hotel that a foreign government might stay in. And so the court is going to have to determine where you draw the line as well. You know, is it a 1% stake or is it a 20% stake or how active does your management of the partnership have to be before you're violating the emoluments clause? I just, I see this as a hugely dangerous proposition for the Republic. It is. And, uh, but anything goes when it comes to Trump, if they can take him out, the destruction of the constitution and undermining the country doesn't seem to matter. It just doesn't. But I wanted to explain this because the Monuments Clause is in there. It's very rarely raised. It's never been litigated. And so now it is being litigated in a way, as I say, that it's unprecedented. The interpretation is ridiculous. Uh, the standing doesn't exist, but the judge conferred it on these two knuckleheads anyway. And the judge, obviously, is not a real judge. He is a politician in black robes. All right, Phil, thanks for your call. Excellent call. Let us go to John, Las Cruces, New Mexico, Sirius Satellite. How are you? I'm excellent. I just had a quick question. Wouldn't this one hotel, even if he profits from it, it's so small and compared to his entire, you know, holdings, wouldn't that uh, call into the concept of the minimus? I don't understand that, but I had a case once 
that the government kind of dismissed because it was so small they didn't bother with it. So I was wondering if you could explain that. Well, I'll explain it. And the answer is yes. In other words, the, the, again, the, the purpose of the emoluments clause is to prevent people, they were thinking of congressmen at the time, run for office, gain office, then use that office to enrich themselves and also potentially use that office to ingratiate themselves with foreign governments so if they left office, they can then receive uh, significant salaries, positions, or what have you with that foreign government. None of that applies to Trump. None of it whatsoever. And, 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 and your point is, is it takes it even further. The guy can't be bought. He can't be bought. So none of this serves any policy interest. None of it serves any of the, of the points that were debated at the Constitutional Convention. So here we have a couple of knuckle, and they don't have standing. You can't say, hey, if, uh, if that hotel didn't exist and the Trump world didn't own it, then these other hotels within our jurisdiction would be making more money. How tenuous is that? That's a ridiculous argument. All right, I have, uh, I've stymied you and silenced you with my genius. All right, ladies and gentlemen. We'll continue with this, but there's more to discuss, too, including the, uh, the so-called uh, Flynn case. I'll be right back. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? how much we should be eating, and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the Nutrition Facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello everybody, Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Well, there was a filing yesterday by Mueller with the judge sentencing a recommendation in the case of uh, Lieutenant General Flynn. And uh, as you know, we, we hit it last night briefly. Mueller is proposing no uh, prison time for General Flynn uh, because of his quote-unquote substantial assistance early on and throughout his investigation. Now, this filing is 13 pages long with attachments, and I went through it. Out of the 13 pages, half of it, give or take, is redacted. 
in which Mueller is explaining the kind of assistance that Mr. Flynn gave. Now, based on that, the same media sources that have been wrong over and over and over again are telling us who has to worry. Don Jr. has to worry, one uh, judicial analyst said, and he expects him to be indicted. No, who can make statements like this? I mean, somebody goes on TV or goes on radio and says they expect somebody to be indicted based on a 13-page filing, half of which is redacted. The unredacted parts don't even mention Don Jr., and yet this person asserts that Donald Trump Jr. is going to be indicted. And having asserted that, it spreads all over the Internet. Or that Jared Kushner is going to be indicted. Based on what? <coughs> Excuse me. Based on what exactly? Based on nothing. There's nothing in those 13 pages, half redacted, that makes any kind of a suggestion that either of those gentlemen will be indicted. Nothing. And yet it's thrown around out there. By legal analysts. I think legal analysts... When they're given this title, they are now the dregs of the media. They're the dregs of the media. They're basically political analysts dressed up as legal analysts because I haven't found any of them to be particularly useful in explaining legal matters, constitutional matters, and so forth. Oh, yes, yes, I think he's going to be indicted. Then they drag out these former federal prosecutors who don't know any more than you and I know based on what we're reading. But it gives the patina of expertise and professionalism to what is a wholly biased or unsubstantiated opinion. Substantial assistance. So I have no idea what this is about. None of us have any idea what this is really about. Substantial assistance. We know General Flynn, based on media reports, had been in touch with the ambassador to the United States from Russia. Nothing wrong with that. Then there's another piece out there that says Jeff Sessions is in trouble because he may have had more contacts than are known, and Flynn may have outed him. Now, I suppose any of this is possible, but where do you get that out of this filing? Nowhere. It doesn't exist. On top of that, Mr. Producer, what, what cut is the uh, Nadler cut? I, on top of that, I want you to hear this. Okay, so... We've talked about the emoluments clause. Now we've talked about the Flynn filing, which tells us almost nothing because of the redactions. Now, I want you to hear this guy, Nadler, Gerald Nadler, who is going to be chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee. This is a bad dude. 
He's a stupid dude and he's a bad dude. He cares nothing of the Constitution, nothing of the rule of law. But listen to what he's thinking about. Go ahead. Uh, I do not agree with the Office of Legal Counsel that the president cannot be indicted um, um, for, for crimes committed while in office. Uh, the Justice Department, however, is bound by that decision, by that opinion. Uh, the special counsel uh, thinks he considers himself bound for, for that. All right. So, so, so everyone now agrees with me from two years ago. That's the Department of Justice position. The special counsel is bound by the Department of Justice position. So now listen to this. Go ahead. Indict a president is a practical matter right now. But once the president is no longer president, you can indict him. But the statute of limitations may have run. Mm-hmm. So we ought to, and I'm considering introducing legislation to this effect, uh, toll the statute of limitations on any president while he is president so that he, he can't be above the law. If he can't be impeached for improper uh, conduct, if there are crimes, he should be, he should be made to, to, to be uh, uh, prosecuted. Incoherent. What he's trying to say is that a president who may commit offenses while in office can be indicted once he's left office. That's true. But the statute of limitations may run on one or more of those charges. Therefore, he wants to propose legislation that tolls it or freezes the statute of limitations in the case of a president. Now, let me tell you folks something. One of the things that the framers of your Constitution feared was that Congress would abuse its power to impeach, which is why it required a supermajority to actually remove a president from office in the Senate, which is why it's not merely a political act. They talked about it at some Length, particularly as it applies to a president, that is impeachment. It is a constitutional act. And the words in the Constitution have meaning, and they have context, and they have intent. So what Nadler's saying here is, okay, here's what we'll do. Okay, you can't indict a sitting president. I don't agree with that, he says, but that's the position. We're boxed in. That's where we are from his perspective. But let's change the law. So that, um, or let's have a law specifically passed to apply to presidents that um, maybe they can't be indicted while they're in office, according to the Department of Justice, but we will extend the statute of limitations until they leave office. So what you'll have here, ladies and gentlemen, if he succeeds, is an endless effort now at unleashing prosecutors, a special counsel or whatever you want to call them, against sitting presidents like Mr. Mueller, who can fabricate or concoct allegations of illegality that hang over a president. So now they issue a report and they say, well, I cannot indict a sitting president. It is our intention to indict Mr. or Ms. So-and-so once they leave office for the following issues. So that hangs over a president and an administration, and undermines many of the aspects that are in those Department of Justice memos, which say that the mere fact of indicting a president drags down the reputation of the administration, makes it much more difficult to conduct foreign policy, and so forth. 
So this is a, again, opening a Pandora's box through the back door. Through the back door. To initiate endless investigations of presidents looking for criminal activity, as Mueller is doing, or alleging criminal activity, as Mueller may do. And then a Mueller can go even further and say, we intend to charge President XYZ once he leaves office with this, 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 and this. How does that solve anything? And look how utterly irresponsible this guy is. He's going to be chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. He is a hatchet man. He's like an old Soviet apparatchik. He doesn't believe in justice. He doesn't believe in any of these things. He's of the same mindset as those Democrat senators on the Senate Judiciary Committee when, during the Kavanaugh hearings. They could care less about the Constitution. Moreover, if the House passes such a thing, I'm sure it'll die in the Senate. Or better. It better. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, uh, Frederick Bastiat wrote what became a book called The Law. And it really was a classic blueprint for a free society. And absolutely brilliant young man. And he talked about the law perverted. The law perverted. And the police powers of the state perverted along with it. The law, I say, not only turned from its proper purpose, but made to follow an entirely contrary purpose. The law become, or that's the writing, the law become the weapon of every kind of greed. Instead of checking crime, the law itself, guilty of the evils it is supposed to punish. If this is true, it is a serious fact. And moral duty requires me to call the attention of my fellow citizens to it. What is law? What then is law? It is the collective organization of the individual right to lawful defense. Each of us has a natural right from God to defend his person, his liberty, and his property. These are the three basic requirements of life. And the preservation of any one of them is completely dependent upon the preservation of the other two. For what are our faculties but the extension of our individuality? And what is property but an extension of our faculties? If every person has the right to defend, even by force, his person, his liberty, and his property, then it follows that a group of men have the right to organize and support a common force to protect these rights constantly such as the principle of collective right. Thus, since an individual cannot lawfully use force against the person, liberty, or property of another individual, then the common force, for the same reason, cannot lawfully be used to destroy the person, liberty, or property of individuals or groups. Now, this is Bastiat. I want you to be thinking about this in terms of Mueller, in terms of Nadler, 
in terms of this judge in Maryland. Such a perversion of force would be in both cases contrary to our premise. Force has been given to us to defend our own individual rights. Who will dare say that force has been given to us to destroy the equal rights of our brothers? Unfortunately, law by no means confines itself to its proper functions. And when it has exceeded its proper functions, it has not done so merely in some inconsequential and debatable matters. The law has gone further than this. It has acted in direct opposition to its own purpose. The law has been used to destroy its own objective. It has been applied to annihilating the justice that it was supposed to maintain, to limiting and destroying rights, which its real purpose was to respect. The law has placed the collective force at the disposal of the unscrupulous, who wish without risk to exploit the person, liberty, and property of others. It has converted plunder into a right in order to protect plunder and has converted lawful defense into a crime in order to punish lawful defense. How has this perversion of the law been accomplished? And what have been the results? The law has been perverted by the influence of two entirely different causes, stupid greed and false philanthropy. So what you're seeing here, in my opinion, the perversion of the Constitution, whether it's the Emoluments Clause, the Appointments Clause when it comes to Mueller, the accusations of obstruction of justice, which are inapplicable here. When you look at what's taking place in a federal courthouse in Maryland, ruled by a Clinton appointee, on the Emoluments Clause, how he has twisted and turned the law on the Emoluments Clause in standing in order to accomplish his political aims. When you listen to Gerald Nadler saying we must now change the Constitution so we can indict presidents after they leave office, if the statute of limitations has told, which would only strongly encourage more prosecutorial investigations of presidents the moment they walk into office. How does any of this serve the republic? How does any of this serve the people, the public? How does any of this strengthen this nation, contribute to our prosperity and our national security and our well-being? This is what Washington is doing to us. The lawyers, the politicians, and the media. The new Iron Triangle. This is what they're doing to us. Because they don't like the man who was elected president of the United States. So the Constitution needs to be changed, if not flat out, by application. And abuses of power are celebrated if the abuses of power have as their purpose to destroy the existing administration and the individual who leads it. You cannot have a just and enduring legal system, constitutional system, when it is perverted this way. 
when it is perverted this way. And yet I fear this is a fatal tendency of mankind. Power, manipulation, positioning. But the republic is the victim. And we, the citizens of the republic, we become the victims. I'm not sure really what to do about it all, other than to uh, ring the alarm bell. And it is really frustrating when you see these things reported on, almost in passing, almost with a blasé attitude, and then you get the legal analysts. Wittingly, if they're leftists, unwittingly, if they're just stupid, commenting on it, not from the perspective of the Republic and the Constitution, on whether or not Donald Trump Jr. is in trouble, whether or not the President of the United States is in trouble, whether or not it's really quite pathetic. I'll be right back. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. meet to defend liberty and defeat tyranny. Call the Mark Levin Show now at 877-381-3811. The holidays are time for family, being thankful, and sharing blessings. Sadly, the holidays are also about scamming. Every year, fraud increases during the holidays, and the thieves like to celebrate with your hard-earned money. From fake charities to package delivery scams, Tis the season for identity theft. This year, don't let the holiday spirit distract you from staying safe. You'll need identity protection more than ever. So get it from My ID Care. My ID Care has been taking care of Fortune 500 companies for years. And now they're offering identity protection to everyone so you can make sure your whole family's covered. From tri bureau credit monitoring to dark web scanning. It's the kind of comprehensive protection you need. Plans start for less than 10 bucks a month, and only My ID Care offers a money-back recovery guarantee. I don't worry about identity theft anymore, and neither should you. Enjoy your holidays with peace of mind from My ID Care. My listeners also get 15% off at myidcare.com slash mark, promo code mark. 
Learn more, and then let My ID Care take care of you. That's myidcare.com slash mark, enter promo code mark, myidcare.com slash mark, promo code mark. Mark Vanderbilt, Michigan, XM Satellite. How are you? Pretty good, except that I'm uh, now by Grayling. Yeah. So anyway, um, I listen to your uh, show occasionally. I'm, I'm on the road tonight, and uh, you mentioned that there was a 15-page pleading filed in federal court. No, I said it was 13 pages, but close. 13 pages, sorry, long yep. day. Heavily redacted, and it, it to me, you, you said something about a 5K1 motion. What? Was that a 5K1 motion that was filed? No, what was filed was a sentencing recommendation by the prosecutor to the court. Okay. Thanks for your call. I have no idea what this guy's talking about. Kevin, Des Moines, Iowa, Sirius Satellite, go. Happy Hanukkah, Mark. Thank you, sir. Um, my uh, comment was on the emoluments clause and with what they're doing to President Trump. Uh, I was wondering why they couldn't turn that around and use that on all the other politicians that are getting rich uh, off of all their dealings through their contacts with the government. Well, many of the liberals get rich after they leave the government, and that's not covered by the Constitution. But if there are occasions where some are, uh, it would work, because what's going to happen here is a precedent is going to be set, depending on how this plays out. And as I was discussing with the uh, caller last hour, and he and I were going back and forth on this, um, if you're a member of Congress and you have extensive stock holdings, and those stock holdings include foreign companies, uh, foreign investments of certain kinds, um, well, I suspect that arguments could be made. Right. Particularly if they're like state-owned companies. But keep something else in mind. It's not just foreign governments. It's states. State governments. So if you're a, uh, a politician and you own a state bond, well, that may ensnare you too, right? Right, exactly. That's kind of what I was thinking. If they can, yeah, like the other caller had stated, yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's preposterous what the uh, left is trying to do here. And a federal judge sits there. I mean, these people who take on these, these judgeships are supposed to really put aside all their politics and do the very best they can to apply the law. That's why they're lifetime appointees. That's why they're called your honor. That's why they get to wear black robes. That's why they're treated better than everybody else. And when they conduct themselves this way, they undermine the Republic and they undermine their office. And so uh, it's going to take a higher court to have to straighten this out because this is just another form shopping operation. Uh, where they obviously knew this judge would do what this judge uh, is doing. And it's really appalling. And so it's a constant effort to burden, to undermine, to harass this president. Thank you for your call, sir. And it really is grotesque. Jay, Kansas City, Missouri, Sirius Satellite. Go right ahead. Hi, Mark. First time caller. A Thank pleasure. you. I appreciate the time. Hey, my, my question is, is... Uh, this chaos going on, what did our founders or our framers set up 
to protect the the republic or the American people from this this type of chaos going on. Well, here's the problem. They set up a, a tremendous system of checks and balances to try and prevent one branch from controlling another, to try and prevent uh, men of excess from having the ability to kind of undermine the entire system. But they also made it clear that liberty in and of itself cannot survive. That liberty must be undergirded by virtue. Remember, we talk about the civil society. The civil society is the prerequisite to a republic. If you don't have a civil society, you can't have a republic. What's happening now is the civil society is unraveling. Because the left... These progressives are using their positions as judges, as politicians, as media types, and uh, academics to advance an ideology. All right, that's not virtuous. Virtue is, these are the rules. Try and figure out what's intended. Apply them with justice. And whether you like the outcome or not, that's just too bad. But that's not what's happening right now, is it? What's happening right now is you'll have a federal judge, as in here in Maryland, and that federal judge determines that he's going to have a good time with the emoluments closed. This is the same federal judge who in his courtroom said that the word redskins will not be allowed, and in any filing, the word redskins will not be allowed. And nobody filed anything in his courtroom about the redskins. It just shows you what kind of an agenda this guy has now the problem is we have an impeachment clause but we only use it against judges if they actually commit crimes which is sort of the opposite with respect to a president so if they actually commit crimes and yet that's not what the impeachment clause says Now, if you disagree with a judge, that shouldn't be the basis for impeachment. But if they abuse their power, that should be the basis for an impeachment. But you see the incoming chairman of the uh, House Judiciary Committee is this guy, Gerald Nadler, who's a complete radical kook. So everywhere you turn, whether it's the chairman of the committee, whether it's this judge, whether it's Mueller and Rosenstein... What you're seeing here is a lack of virtue, a lack of individuals with virtue. Instead, they have their own agendas, and there's no system that can be set up to fix that. None. Thank you for your call, my friend. Donna Frederick, Maryland, the great WMAL. Go. Hi, Mark. I just want to say this Brian Frosch is a disgrace to the state of Maryland. The Attorney General of Maryland. Yes, I'm sorry, but yes. Uh, and I'm mortified that he actually did this. He does not represent the people of this state. Well, he got elected. Unfortunately. You know, there was a time, Mark, when Frederick to the West wanted to annex into the state of Western Maryland. It would not surprise me if that subject came up again. People are so tired of what's going on to the east of this city. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. Let's go to Frank in Reston, Virginia, also WMAL. Go right ahead. Hi. Uh, hi, Mark. It's good Good to talk to you. Um, Thank you. I've, I've, long, I've long believed that the only 
you know, you have to bring a, a gun to a knife fight here. The only way that we're ever going to get this to stop is with the insertion of an attorney general who's going to go after the Clintons. And, mm-hmm. and if it means another special prosecutor, it means another special prosecutor. We, we can't fight them. Uh, we, we can't fight the Democrats when they just play dirty on every play. We have to counter them at their level. And if, you, if, you, if the Clintons and the Obama connections to all this nonsense are, are potentially to be exposed, I think they'll back down from doing this stuff. They have been shown, like the battle over the independent counsel statute many, many years ago, they have been shown that if you use their rules against them, then they want, they want to sue for peace. And I think you're quite right. The problem is we have a president that fights them, that takes the gloves off, and then we have a party that shoots them in the back. You've got commentators on TV and radio who claim to be conservatives who shoot them in the back. Maybe they don't comprehend the existential nature of this battle. Maybe they think this is just an interesting uh, debate. But it's much more than that. It's much more than that. We are very fortunate. Let me, let me underscore this. Because it's, it's contrary to the uh, so-called common wisdom out there. We're very fortunate to have a man in the Oval Office who is a fighter. Who is a fighter. Because I am convinced now more than ever, that of all those Republicans running, all of them, all of them, that this is the only guy that could be fighting back the way that he's fighting back for the sake of the Republic. Doesn't mean you have to agree with every single one of his issues. That's not my point. I'm talking about the bigger picture. And I I couldn't be happier. Couldn't be happier that he's there. And he and he has completely outperformed how I thought he would perform. And I admit it. And I admit it. But he's fighting back. You know, he's not arresting journalists like some presidents did. He's not shutting down newspapers like some presidents did. He's not arresting his opponents like some presidents did. He's not interning people like some presidents did. He goes on Twitter and he fights back. He holds a press conference and he fights back. He goes to a rally and he fights back. He's using exactly the legitimate tools, freedom of speech, to attack those who are attacking our system. I'll be right back. Would you pay your hard-earned money to join an organization that fought tooth and nail for a government-run health care system? How about an organization that scripted portions of White House speeches behind closed doors to ensure the passage of the Affordable Care Act? Or an organization that stood against tax cuts for middle-class Americans and small business owners? Would you join an organization like that? No. Then don't join the AARP. Join AMAC the conservative alternative instead. AMAC offers an alternative to just about every benefit and discount that the AARP offers, but without the liberal agenda. Become an AMAC member right now at amac.us. Wouldn't you rather belong to an organization that fights for your values, like protecting our borders by enforcing common-sense immigration laws, supporting small business, and standing up for your individual God-given freedoms? AMAC is the way to go. 
There's a ton of work to be done, and AMAC is asking your help. And help them fight the good fight by becoming a member today. The benefits are great, but the cause is even greater. Join AMAC today. AMAC.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. AMAC is better, better for you, and better for America. Brian, Dallas, Pennsylvania, the great WTRW. Go. Hey, hey, thanks for having me on. Uh, first of all, AMAC is great. Also, um, you switched over from being a blue dog Democrat during Obama's second term. And the thing I've had the most frustration with is what you just mentioned with the conservatives and Republican Party. It's, they seem to just be a bunch of fiefdoms and backstab each other. You know, mm-hmm. you can't seem to get together on the core issues that really create the foundation no, for the movement. And it's just frustrating. It is. Uh, I mean, they, they, they ran on securing the border. And tell me, have they secured the border? No, no, and we got we got live footage of it unsecure. When you have mm-hmm. to use you know pepper pellets to push people back, it should be strong evidence that there's a problem. So again, you know, I, I, anyway, I try to keep up on speed on when there's events to go to and stuff like that. I joined the convention of states. Um, you know, went to a couple of little meetings on that, but again, just I think that's the big the biggest issue. Um, just and I love CRTV. Good Thank stuff. You. Thank you. Uh, and glad to see we you know, getting bigger. So thanks for the time. Let me have a chance to call. Appreciate you got it, it, Brian. You take care of yourself. Another Brian, Baltimore, Maryland. How are you, sir? Mark, I'm doing well. Happy Hanukkah. You too. Thank you. If you'll indulge me, yeah. I am so filled with patriotic pride today when I watch the services for 41. And if you'll indulge me, I started this day off meeting with my local representatives about development in my neighborhood. You're a firefighter? Yes, sir. Okay. And it's not going to, this development is not going to fly. It's going to cause problems. I spoke to my people, to my representatives, and had my voice heard. I'm sitting in a parking lot right now eating fried chicken from the best fried chicken place, fast food you can have um, from a gas station, waiting for my kid to come out of school. I am in the greatest country in the world, in the history of the world. And listening to 43 eulogize 41 brought tears to my eyes. And I want all of us Levinites to understand we are in the fight of our lives. Right now, we must secure this republic from the nonsense that is going on from the Democrats, from the progressives, from the leftists. And we must. Stand strong, because we are a great people, we are a fair people, we are a kind and generous people. And there is no better place on the face of the earth than this country, these United States of America, for anybody to live. Well, you are 100% right, and I must tell you, when the nation unites like this, as it is, the uh, memories and the saying goodbye to President George H.W. Bush, it is uh, a patriotic moment, and uh, it's a sad moment and a celebratory moment, sad in that it's the passing of a, uh, of a president, the passing of somebody we've become familiar with, and we celebrate because only in this country, only in this country, do we treat presidents this way, do we have respect for our system this way, some of us, anyway. 
Yes. And to watch the military and the military bands and the military music and the and the and the music in the churches. It's just so beautiful. Beautiful. Absolutely. And you Absolutely. had five you had five presidents, former and current president, in the National Cathedral. You had President Trump, President Bush. President Obama, President Clinton, and President Carter. You had five in one place like that. And I started to add up all the years together that these men were present. It is a remarkable thing. And where else in the world do people do that, where they celebrate their people who lead them, who stand up for good and righteous things in the scope of the world? Well, that, that's why that's why our institutions are so crucial. And when you have individuals, including judges, including prosecutors, who are tearing at the fabric of this nation, they're tearing at exactly what you saw today. I want to thank you, Brian, and thank you for your service as a firefighter, too. We'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. The forgotten story of how George H.W. Bush won over Ronald Reagan. So it was written last night by Luke Cannon. Now, Luke Cannon is a former reporter for The Post, Washington Post, written multiple biographies on President Reagan. Originally was a reporter, as I recall, in California, covered him as governor for a period of time. But I thought this might interest some of you. At a time when George H.W. Bush is rightly being celebrated, he writes, for his statesmanship and decency. It's easy to forget that he was also a savvy long-distance politician whose doggedness enabled him to become vice president, despite Ronald Reagan's reservations about him as a running mate. That doggedness was evident in 1980, when the entire Republican establishment tried to prevent Reagan from becoming the party's presidential nominee. So let's stop right there. This is what people don't remember, particularly young people who write columns, who are on TV, who are on radio, Reagan was an outsider. The entire Republican establishment fought him. Howard Baker, John Connolly, Bob Dole, Phil Crane, and John B. Anderson, who later ran as an independent, all dropped out after Reagan victories in the primaries. Bush did not drop out. Instead, he competed in 33 primaries with Reagan, losing 29 of them. By May 1980, when Reagan had more than enough delegates to be nominated, some of Reagan's political operatives were clamoring for Bush to quit. But he refused. Bush refused to quit. 
He believed that if he stayed in the race until the Republican National Convention in July, he would become Reagan's only option as a running mate. Bush believed Reagan would need a moderate to balance the GOP ticket. This was an accurate assessment, writes Cannon. Reagan never seriously considered conservative alternatives, such as his friend Senator Paul Laxalt of Nevada. Now, as we look back, by the way, on the massive Reagan landslide, turns out he could have picked on, picked anybody he wished to be his running mate. But Reagan did not want Bush, who had backed down at a televised debate in February 1980 in Nashua, New Hampshire, where Reagan refused to be silenced by a pro-Bush moderator who threatened to turn off his microphone. I'm paying for this microphone, Reagan said, capturing the headline and with them the New Hampshire primary. The Nashua debate was a big story. But there was a follow-up a few months later to which the press paid little attention that confirmed Reagan's low opinion of Bush. Bush had complained that in the Texas primary he was being smeared by leaflets circulated by Reagan supporters. On May 2 in Houston, a local television station put the question to Reagan, who heatedly denied responsibility for the leaflets. The station then showed the clip to Bush while being interviewed in his Houston home. To the astonishment of Reagan and his wife, Nancy, who were watching the interview, Bush absolved Reagan of blame and said the leaflets were no big deal. If it's no big deal, why does he keep talking about it, Nancy Reagan said. Ronald Reagan later told an aide that Bush lacked spunk. Bush went on to the convention in Detroit and sat tight. He had friends in the Reagan camp, including pollster Richard Worthland and Reagan advisor Edwin Meese. He was counting on to say a good word for him if the occasion arose. Meanwhile, in his search for a balanced ticket, Reagan pursued the will of the wisp of putting former President Gerald R. Ford on the ticket. That would have been a disaster. Amid questions about whether a co-presidency would work, the boom lit for Ford collapsed. The 11th hour, Reagan pragmatically called Bush and asked him to be his running mate. Being Reagan's number two kept Bush on his toes. His first assignment was a fence-building mission to the People's Republic of China, where Bush was on the defensive trying to explain contradictory statements Reagan made about Taiwan. Once Reagan was elected, Bush struggled to achieve a constructive working relationship with the president. It wasn't easy. Six weeks into the presidency, Bush confided to me that, try as he might, he couldn't understand Reagan. That uncertainty faded on March 30, 1981, when Reagan was shot and nearly killed by a would-be assassin outside the Washington Hilton. Traveling in Texas, Bush flew back to Washington. He wisely declined to take a helicopter from Andrews Air Force Base to the White House lawn, believing this would seem an alarming comment on Reagan's condition. Instead, he was driven to the White House. During Reagan's recovery, Bush dutifully beat the drums for Reagan's tax reduction bill, which passed Congress that summer with the help from Texas Democrats. In the 1980 presidential campaign, Bush had denounced Reagan's view that supply-side tax cuts would increase government revenue as voodoo economics. As vice president, Bush favored tax cuts, and virtually the entire Republican Party had lined up behind the Kemp-Roth tax bill, which was premised on supply-side doctrine. When the 1981 tax cuts proved to be an overreach, Reagan subsequently proposed and Congress ultimately raised taxes. 
As Bush would later learn, conservatives were far more forgiving of their idol, Reagan, for raising taxes than they would ever be of him. Now, that's not exactly right. You had two massive tax cuts under Reagan, followed by a slight tax increase. So when you look at the net, it's not even close. Same could not be said of the Bush administration. Reagan, however, was completely won over by Bush's steadfast loyalty through Iran-Contra and other tribulations of his presidency. When Baker asked Reagan to stay neutral in the 1988 presidential primary campaign, that is, Howard Baker, Reagan promised that he would and did, but he confided to his diary that his personal choice was Bush, a patient and dogged politician. Did you know all that, Mr. Producer? You did not. I remember those days. I had sent a Western Union telegram at the time. That's what you did. You know, there were no iPhones or anything like that to Senator Paul Laxalt of Nevada, who unfortunately recently passed away, wishing him the best of luck. And then I hoped the president would choose him as his running mate. And he was actually preferred by Nancy Reagan. But Bush did turn out to be an incredibly good vice president, incredibly loyal to Ronald Reagan through thick and thin. And that was a, uh, you know, that's that's a very, very important aspect of one's character, particularly a politician. But I don't want you to think that George H.W. Bush gollied his way throughout politics. He was a tough dude, and he was a tough campaigner, and he, and particularly his hack friend, James A. Baker, they were not uh, playing by Queensberry rules all the time. He was tough in that primary against Reagan. He was tough in the election against Dukakis, and he needed to be. And he needed to be. And he had a lot of friends, and he would make a lot of, uh, he built a lot of bridges after they were burned down. But that's the story of how George H.W. Bush won over Reagan. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Okie dokie. Jim, Linden, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Hello, Mr. Lovin. Yes, sir, Jim. Go right ahead. Uh, I'm a man of my age. I've been listening to you for a long, long time. Yeah. And I got to thank you all of this time. And I want you to listen very carefully, sir. And I know you do. And I know you love this country. Just Go right ahead, right sir. I want to sell. I wanted you to tell the President of the United States, okay, for us to sell war bonds, not war bonds, wall bonds. We Americans could build that wall for him. All he's got to do is sell wall bonds like we did in World War II during Pearl Harbor days when we didn't have nothing to fight the war with. Okay? Now, if the President of the United States asked the 64 million people or more that voted for him to sell wall bonds, okay, we could give him the money to buy the big, big built the wall. And after this, we'll, we'll give a black eye to those son of a bitch Democrats. Okay, excuse my language. That's what we need. 
is to sell wall bonds, not war bonds. All right, I got it. Well, I, got, I, I got a wall bonds. I don't have any problem with that. His lawyers need to see if they can do it. Remember, uh, we sold war bonds, but uh, everybody was all in. Democrats, Republicans, Congress, and the president. So they would have to determine if there's any legal issues. But if not, I like the idea. All right, my friend, thank you for your call. What real foreign policy experience does Lindsey Graham have? Other than being a senator and before that a congressman. And with all due respect, Marco Rubio, too. They and Dianne Feinstein and Ed Markey, Democrats, and Todd Young, Republican of Indiana, Chris Coons of Delaware, they introduced today a Senate resolution that holds Crown Prince, the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, accountable for contributing to the humanitarian crisis in Yemen, the blockade of Qatar, the jailing of political dissidents within Saudi Arabia, the use of force to intimidate rivals, and the abhorrent and unjustified killing of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. Quote, this is from, uh, let's see, this, this is from the press release, uh, Lindsey Graham. I believe it's vitally important to U.S. national security interests to make a definitive statement about the brutal murder of an American resident. Mr. Khashoggi, who has three American citizen children, said Senator Graham, this resolution without equivocation definitely states that the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia was complicit in the murder of Mr. Khashoggi, has been a wrecking ball to the region, jeopardizing our national security interests on multiple fronts. We up to Saudi Arabia as to how to deal with this matter, but it's up to the United States to firmly stand for who we are and what we believe. And then the other quotes go on. Now, I have a problem with this generally. This Graham, in so many ways, is so misguided. Our buddy Jordan Schachtel over at Conservative Review, he's tweeted this. If only they learned from Libya... Egypt, Iraq, Syria, etc. Graham, Feinstein, Rubio, Markey, resolution calls for regime change. Dangerous and naive. And the resolution randomly brings up a dispute between Qatar and KSA demanding subservience to terrorists supporting Qatar. And another person wrote on Twitter, Senate measure beclowns itself, demands that Riyadh restore diplomatic relations with Doha, demands that Riyadh settle with Iran-backed Houthis. Preposterous. This resolution could have been written by John Kerry. What the hell is wrong with Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio? Honest to God. They supported the toppling of the regime in, in Libya, and look what we got. In the case of Graham, he didn't back Mubarak, and look what we got after that. I mean, honestly, this is stupid. Stupid. These guys fancy themselves as hawks. Not hawks. It's ignorant, in my humble opinion. All right. Michael, Red Bank, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Hi, Mark. How are you? 
Okay, how are you? Great. Uh, first off, I just wanted to let you know I'm just so thankful for you. You're my role model. You're my teacher. And best of all, you're my comedian. All right, thank you. Um, I just wanted to comment on what a caller said earlier. Um, he said he felt patriotic about the by the, by the funeral today of George W. And I, I do tend to agree with that. Um, I, I think it was a very patriotic moment, and I felt that way. However, um, I just have to say that over the past two years, the Bush family as a whole, I just see them more and more as Democrats and, and part of the whole anti-Trump movement. And I know it's, you know, might not be the time to say it, but I, I just, I just don't, I just have such a terrible feeling about Bush. I mean, they just don't, they realize that it's a fight. There's a war going on over here. You know, it's, 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 it's a fight for the Republic and going with the Obamas and the Clintons and the, and the whole Democratic party and the never Trumpers, you're just, you're just feeding into their, to what they want. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, I know that it was, you know, it got very personal with Jeb Bush, and I, I think of the Bush family just, you know, they got just so, so insulted, and, and they just took it so personally that they just can never forgive Trump, and they, and they sort of just Well, here's the thing. The, the Weekly Standard appears to be, uh, or is likely, or the reports are, may well go out of business. And I think if that happens, the reason is this. Not because there aren't smart people over there, but because when you turn a media operation into a bloodletting operation, you're going to appeal to a very small number of people. And if you're going to turn your your media operation into a Bill Crystal type operation where he puts out the craziest ass tweets, just no matter what, Trump this, Trump that, Trump this, Trump that. And you're, you're going to become unhinged. And some of the people who used to work with you now have become unhinged over there at the Weekly Standard. Not all, but too many. Then you're going to put yourself out of business. Nobody wants to be around people like that. Nobody wants to read people like that. Nobody wants to hear people like that. And so uh, they really have nobody to, to communicate with other than themselves and that very small circle. And honestly, National Review was headed in this direction, but they pulled back. I feel that they, uh, they, they refocus. They're critical of the president when they feel they need to be critical of the president. But it's not this day in, day out, you know, uh, sort of uh, gut punch because nobody cares about that. So National Review is, I think, quite strong at this point. We'll be right back. If you turn off your radio and open the window, you can probably hear him straight from the studio. Call Mark Levin at 877-381-3811. You know, the Never Trump crowd has a lot of explaining to do. It really does. They voted against Trump and either voted for Hillary Clinton, voted for third party, or didn't vote at all for president. They told us over and over again it wasn't a binary choice. But, of course, it was a binary choice. Some of the never-Trumpers have uh, gone down with their so-called ship. 
It would appear to be what's happening over at the Weekly Standard. Regardless of Trump's policies, many of which are quite solid. Quite solid. More solid than Romney's would have been, I bet. More solid than McCain's would have been, I bet. But they voted for Romney and they voted for McCain. Some of the never-Trumpers say, hey, look, we're different than those other never-Trumpers. We at least acknowledge that, you know, Trump is better in some ways than we thought, but he's still not good enough in these other ways. Well, that's not good enough. You voted against him when we had a choice to make. If he had lost, if he had lost, Gorsuch wouldn't be on the Supreme Court. Kavanaugh, who I have some questions about, he wouldn't be on the court. The entire debate would be different than it is today. Entirely different. Law enforcement would still be under attack. I don't believe the, uh, the military would get the kind of funds that it needs. There wouldn't be efforts to secure the border despite what Congress is doing today. I mean, everything would be turned upside down. So some of these people can't just get away with, well, I didn't vote for Trump, but on the other hand, you know, I'm not Bill Kristol. That's really not good enough. What you say is one thing, but your vote actually matters. And you went into that polling place, and you went into that voting booth, and you actually voted for Hillary, or you actually voted for nobody, knowing the stakes? Even if Trump were half as bad as Hillary, that's half better than Hillary. To me, that's incredible. So they don't get away, uh, Scott Clean, uh, with, uh, but on the other hand, I support some of the stuff he does. On the other hand, I don't support. That's fine. That's called being rational. But your vote, either affirmatively for Trump's opponent or not at all, that's affirmatively irrational. Irrational, in my view as somebody who did not support Trump in the primaries. Initially, I was, you know, uncommitted. But I have to tell you, I am very happy that he's president of the United States. Even though I criticize him on some of this tariff stuff and some of the others, but in so many ways, in so many ways, he's been really top shelf. So you'd have to be irrational to suggest otherwise, and that's the problem with the dead-enders on the Trump, on the never-Trump side. But still, the never-Trumpers who did not vote for Trump have a lot of explaining to do. Have a lot of explaining. To, the whole Middle East situation would be different. They'd still be embracing the, the Iran deal, which was so outrageous. Our... Embassy would still be in Tel Aviv rather than Jerusalem. That's only one area that we can talk about. On the immigration side, sanctuary cities and so forth, they would become normalized rather than fighting them. The courts, same same thing. The left would have complete control. Can you imagine... Obama appoints 40% of the federal bench, and then Hillary for four years. She appoints another 20%. There's no way out. There's no way out. So that's why that vote would be completely irresponsible. 
And it seems to me some of these folks still have to explain themselves. That's just my opinion. Just my opinion. But as I said earlier, and I want to circle back to underscore my point, Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio, who have very thin foreign policy backgrounds, truth be told, are way off on this Senate resolution, way off on this regime change stuff. First of all, it's not going to happen. So what good comes from this? But second, they don't learn from their own histories. Rubio and Graham supported the overthrow of Gaddafi, which was insane since Gaddafi had surrendered all of his nuke technology and was eating out of our hands. Was eating out of our hands. Absolutely insane. We'd be in a war in Syria right now. We'd be in a war in a... I don't know. I don't know how many places. It's a very unrealistic view of the world. Very unrealistic. And I speak as somebody who is a Reaganite, a traditionalist when it comes to national security and the military. So I take a backseat to none of these guys. I have as much foreign policy experience as they do. I have as much combat experience as they do. All right, let's go. Let's go to Clark in Arlington, Virginia, the great WMAL. How are you? Hey, good, sir, Mark. Uh, I appreciate you taking my call. I'll keep it real quick. I uh, appreciate uh, your time uh, at Barnes & Noble a couple weeks back. I'm the 27-year uh, Army vet, and uh, it was great to Oh, great it was a pleasure meet to meet you. Yeah, on my yeah. dad's book. <laughs> yes, sir. And, and the, the other thing, too, I, I, I just wanted to comment on um, today's ceremony. I think the old guard did just a wonderful job, wonderful tribute. And I guess I'm being a little selfish. Um, it does good for my soul, and it also gave me hope, uh, you know, that uh, we can move forward with things too. So I just wanted to uh, quickly. No, 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 no. Let me let me just slow down. With the left, we can't move forward with things. Uh, they're they're moving forward with their attempt to uh, remove the president by hook or by crook, if not by impeachment, by smear and character assassination. I agree. But, All right, uh, my friend. Appreciate you taking my call, sir, and uh, thank you much. And you too. It really was a pleasure. All right, Mr. Producer. Need to make Mr. Producer happy. With it getting closer, excuse me, let me start over. With it getting colder and colder, it's cold. The struggle to get out of bed is real. Casper makes it so tempting to stay cozy under the covers. It's a high quality mattress at an affordable price. You'll sleep comfortably and never wake up overheated thanks to the unique combination of foams that provide the right pressure relief and alignment. Casper ships right to your door for free in a small how-do-they-do-that size box. They'll even pick it up if you don't love it and refund you everything. From its engineering to its packaging to letting you try it for 100 nights. It's no wonder Casper has over 35,000 five-star reviews of all their products Across Casper, Google, and Amazon. Now's the perfect time to give a Casper, give it a try yourself, or give it as a gift. Give Casper to someone you care about. Looking for that holiday deal? 
Well, head to Casper.com, use code MARK, and you'll save 10% on your entire order with any Casper mattress. That's Casper.com, promo code MARK, and save 10% on your entire order with any Casper mattress. Remember the promo code. That's Casper.com, code MARK. Let's go to Michael. Corona, California, 870, the answer, the great KRLA. Go. Hello, Mark. How are you? Very well. Thank you, sir. Good deal. Um, you were just saying that we have some explaining to do if we didn't vote for Trump. I think and so. we're supposedly conservative. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I'm sorry. I did not. And it is a binary choice. You were correct. I wasn't thinking that at the time. But I live in California, and I knew he was going to lose this state. So I mm-hmm. didn't. But mm-hmm. at the time, I actually told my family if I lived in Ohio or Florida or any of those swing states, I would have to vote for him. Because like you, I'm extremely happy he's president and Hillary isn't. Mm-hmm. But my explanation, and it's not a good one, is that I sat out the top of the ticket because he wasn't going to win anyway, and I did not like him at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just my explanation. Nowadays, right. I'm thinking... There's no chance in hell that I won't vote for him next time around. He's he's much more solid than you ever thought, isn't he? Absolutely. Me too. In so many ways. Some ways I still don't like. But but here's know, I here's the like, thing. I I could never vote for Hillary or stand by and contribute to her election by doing nothing. I know who she is. She's an Alinskyite. Absolutely. Un- unlike her husband, who's kind of a moderate goofball. She is a hardcore radical Alinskyite. She's also a crook and a crony. So how can you step back and say, I don't like the way Trump talks. I don't like the way Trump tweets. I don't like his temperament. I I mean, good Lord. Seriously. Sir? Yes, sir. Nowadays, I'm different. But uh, but I agree with you. I'm talking about these other folks out there who... uh, who took a pass in the last election, and they haven't really, uh, in my opinion, they haven't really come to grips with it. All right, Michael, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Tom, Alexandria, Virginia, the great WMAL. Go. Good evening, Mark. I, I told your screener. I just wanted to make one comment and quote Shakespeare. What he said at Hamlet, the evil men do lives, I'm sorry, in Julius Caesar. The evil that men do lives after them. The good is often turned in their bones. Mm-hmm. I, I, got, I had the pleasure of doing a fundraiser for George Bush in Pittsburgh in 1988, and then I ran into him. He was standing in a hallway at the Miami Arena waiting to be a keynote speaker at a Tony Robbins event, and we recounted our 1988 meeting when he was at our table shaking hands. The waiter was carrying way too many plates, and he dropped an entire giant tray, and our eyes met right when it happened, and I was ready to jump under the table because all the Secret Service guys, you could see them reaching for their service revolvers. And then when I ran into the president in 1995, I said, do you remember? And he said, Tom, I remember it like it was yesterday. Wow. I, was, I was about to go under the table with you. Isn't that amazing? He would remember that after all the events he went to? I'm telling you, he, the nicest man God ever put on this earth, and I know you're having a tough time getting through the day. I, I mean, I, like everybody else, 
cried my eyes out today. Yeah. It was just so beautiful. And Ronan yep. Tynan, you know, he sang uh, Going Home and Amazing Grace at Reagan's funeral. Because mm-hmm. Nancy Reagan loved him so much. Mm-hmm. And he, he did, you know, Nearer My God to Thee. And, I mean, just such, it was such a beautiful service. Mm-hmm. And Hillary. <sighs> All right, my friend. I got it. And you're right. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. time you go online or use public Wi-Fi, you're putting your personal information in danger. Unless you take precautions, a hacker can grab your passwords or credit card information in seconds. These hacks happen millions of times a day, and the victims have their personal information exposed or identity stolen. So how can you protect yourself? Well, the software I use is the best. It's called ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN makes it super easy for anyone to stay secure online. ExpressVPN hides your IP address and encrypts all of your data online. That means nobody, nobody, nobody can see what you do on the Internet, not even government spy agencies like the NSA. The ExpressVPN app takes 90 seconds to set up on your computer or phone. You click a button and poof, you're protected. So if you want to protect yourself from hackers and spies, visit expressvpn.com slash mark to get this special offer. Three months free with a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash mark for three months free with a one-year package. Don't risk your online data any longer. Protect yourself. Visit expressvpn.com slash mark today. Kurt, New York, New York, the great WABC. Go. Hello, Mr. Levin. Good evening. I'm one of your uh, people that has to explain my vote. Come right ahead. And good evening. Yeah, you, I didn't vote too. for either one. Of, I didn't vote for either one of them. Right. I voted. I voted for Gary Johnson as the best choice. Right. And you might think that's irrational, but frankly, I think anybody that continues to support Donald Trump is engaging in a little bit of irrationality themselves, given all of his uh, misrepresentation and outright lies. You can't believe a word the guy says. I'm still waiting for my 10% uh, tax cut. Can you hold on one second? Sure. Mr. Call Screener, can you come open your microphone, please? Yes, sir. This gentleman lied to you, didn't he? Yes, sir. And yet he accuses Donald Trump of being a liar. He said he wanted to say why he didn't vote for Trump, and he's repentant. And he's repentant. And now he's on the attack. All right, thank you, Mr. Call Screener. So, Kurt, you're a liar. How do you figure that? Get off the phone, you idiot. I don't mind you disagreeing with Trump, disagreeing with me, saying, hey, I voted against him or I didn't vote for him, and so be it. But don't tell the call screener one thing, and then I bring you on and you ramble on like that. That I don't like. You can have a difference of opinion. Don't lie. And he accuses Trump of lying. Again, I don't have a problem with somebody having a difference of opinion. I have a problem with him lying to Richie V, our call screener. And then he comes on. What do you mean? Uh, what do you mean? You don't get to do that here. And by the way, 
bad character. Fred, Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania, XM Satellite. Go right ahead. Hi, Mark. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, let me start by saying I feel really bad for Mr. Khashoggi and his family for what happened to him. It's horrible. But Yeah, but if the Senate cared as much about the Americans on American soil that have been killed by illegal immigrants, don't you think we'd have a wall already? That's an interesting point, isn't it? And I, I would underscore your point. Congress actually has the power to appropriate funds to secure the border and protect our communities, and it won't. But there they are dancing around with a resolution telling Saudi Arabia, uh, we don't like your crown prince, so you need to change your regime. No, you're quite right. And what about all those senators and congressmen that voted for a hundred that voted for excuse me, the Iran deal, knowing full well that that regime slaughters journalists, students, um, individuals with whom it disagrees, gay people. You know, I, I, it's just kind of weird the way they, they're reacting, don't you think? Yeah, and Iran is born to hate Americans. Mm-hmm. And we were sent dropping them money out of airplanes. All right, my friend. All right, thanks, Mark. Yeah, I, I just think it's actually a stupid proposal. Michael, Gainesville, Florida, the great WSKY. Go. Hey, Mark. Hey, great yes, show. Uh, first time getting through. I really appreciate you taking my call. I'm a Marine vet and a law enforcement officer in Florida. Um, hey, I really think we got to, these people who didn't vote for Trump, who didn't vote for anybody, we really got to convince them to vote in 2020 because I'm really concerned about the path our country will I don't take. Know, I don't know how we convince them if they're not awake already to the reality of what's going on in this country. There's nothing I can say that will change events if they don't awaken to events. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And I'll see you tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen. God bless each and every one of you.